Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Josie Kerrigan. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that God has called you to do. Now you may have noticed my props, and so before they become a distraction, I'm just going to talk about them. So this right here is a plant that was left home. It was alive when I left, but we turned the temperature in our house really like far down while we went to D.C., and I came home and it was dead. It has water, but I think it froze to death, so we killed our plant. Now this plant, is it alive or dead? It's actually not. It looks alive, but it's fake. (laughs) So, I'm going to give you our our key verse this morning is going to be this, that God is, you know, as we're pressing in for presence, we're pressing in for knowing him, we're pressing in for intimacy. John 4.24 says this, For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I know we welcome the Holy Spirit, and we talk about spirit, and we've talked about in recent weeks how we can sense God even with our physical senses, but we need to learn to see in the spirit. But today, I wanted to talk about truth. I feel like I'm still ringing. Do I need to get another microphone, or am I good to keep? Okay. Um, I want to talk about truth. Because Jesus mentioned those two things. He said you need to worship in spirit and in truth. And how many of you guys know this plant is dead, but it's a real plant. It's alive, like barely, but it's true to who it is. This thing over here is fake. But often this is what we present to God. And this is not worshiping God in truth. Okay, so just be looking at these while I go. I I have like a bunch of different things that I'm going to talk about this, but this is the core thing is when it comes to intimacy with Jesus, if we want to actually know him, if we want to be in his presence, I mean, like, what's the point of being in somebody's presence if you don't actually know them and they're just like over there? But have you ever been in a conversation with a friend that you like really know and trust and you're like sharing all the deepest things in your heart? what you're worried about, what you're dreaming of, you're sharing like intimate things in your life, and then somebody else walks in the room and you stop talking because you don't really trust this person. Like you're not as acquainted with them and you're not gonna share all this stuff. We bring our real true self to the people that we trust and the people that we know intimately. And that is how we need to be with God. We don't want to just like come into church and stop talking about the things that really bother us and what's really going on in our lives. If you can share more with your spouse than you can with God or more with your best friend or your mom than you can with God, I encourage you to dive deeper into intimacy with him. Spirit and truth. Another aspect of this is that When it comes to the presence of God, we've been focusing a lot on worship. But I know, and you guys know, our our service on Wednesday nights is called Presence and Prayer. And that comes from a verse in Revelations that says that in heaven, when the elders and everybody was bowing down at the throne room of God, it says that they had harps and we know that they were singing holy, 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 and they were worshiping forever, right, in eternity. But they also had a bowl. And that bowl was filled with incense 
which is the prayers of the saints. So we will often call it harps and bowls when we talk. We need both harps and bowls. And when we come into the presence of God, it's not just worship and it's not just prayer, it's both. We're communicating with God with both worship and prayer, okay? So when we talk about intimacy and when we talk about seeking after his presence and we talk about being with him in nearness, part of that's worship, but the other part is prayer. It's often like that in scripture where there's like two wings that need to be balanced. If you've been around for any amount of time, you know we talk about being kings and priests and we need the spirit and the word like we can't get off kilter so we need to be a house of prayer like God called his house a house of prayer and actually prayer is mentioned I think about five times more in scripture than worship we were created to worship but prayer is something that's very very important and we look at the life of Jesus he does worship it talks about him singing up on the Mount of Olives and stuff but he is marked by prayer Right? He goes off early every morning and he goes out and he prays. He withdrew often. And when the disciples were asking Jesus to teach them something, they didn't say, how can we walk on water? They didn't say, how can we worship better? They didn't say, how can we do miracles? How will be a testimony for you? They say, teach us how to pray. That was the one thing because he had modeled that like as a leader and he was the greatest leader of all time. And the one thing they wanted to know was, how do we pray? So it's important. Now me, I'm more of like, I enjoy worship more, can I just be honest? Like, I'm not one of those. So my dad is an intercessor at heart. How many of you guys were in our school of prayer earlier th last year? Yes, wasn't it good? Oh, he is a man of prayer. And if we do it again, I highly recommend that you take it. But um, when I was little, I mean, he would lock himself up, and I'd hear him in there, -da 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 -da, like for hours, just hours. And he would get up early. He would stay up late. Like he, I think he just lives and breathes prayer. It, I don't think it's hard for him. Like he just flows that way. That's me in worship. Like if I didn't know that I was in charge of the service, I would have just stayed and worshiped for like six hours right here. I would have never come up and done communion and I would have just let the worship team lead us all day. I love it. It is not hard for me. Prayer is a bit of a discipline. It is not as easy. I do enjoy it. Like I love it. Of course I want to be a person of prayer, but it doesn't just like, it's a discipline. So I don't know where you fall on that, which one you prefer. Maybe you're like my dad. God bless you. We need more of you. <laughs> but God said, whether we like it or not, that his house is to be called a house of prayer. Right? And when you're intimate with someone, you, you talk to them for real. You don't talk fake prayers. You don't come and you're like, bless God, hallelujah, everything is well. I know that he has won the victory. I'm blessed and highly favored. I, yes, God, everything is great. Like, what is, what, what is that? That's how you talk to a person you don't know, that you don't want to know what's really going on. You don't have to pray pretty. <laughs> it's the whole point of this message. I think God is tired of pretty prayers. He wants truth prayers. He wants live prayers. He wants real prayers. And I'm not saying that your life is always going to be a dead plant, but I'm saying if it is, I need you to be honest. I have some alive plants at home as well, but, you know, we need to be real before God is my point. We need to worship him through prayer and worship in spirit and in truth. So we're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about truth. And I love, you know, I was, I was saying how my dad, he was a man of prayer and, and parents, if you're in here, I loved having our you kids in here worshiping. But I remember when I was about 10, our church had early morning prayer. Have you guys ever grew up with early morning prayer? 
<laughs> I'm a late night prayer if I had to choose, you know what I'm saying? But my dad is an early morning person and he was the pastor, so we had 6 a.m. prayer every weekday. And church was like in the middle of town, we lived in a suburb. Guess who had to go with dad to prayer? Me. <laughs> so my little 10-year-old self had to get up at what, like five and go and pray at this location. Um, it actually wasn't even at our church because we rented a building for Sundays. It was like in a vitamin shop slash fitness center that somebody in our church owned. And I remember I would sit on the fitness bike to not fall asleep. <laughs> so I'm like, can I not tarry an hour? Like, I'm so unspiritual. But I'm like, if I sat on the bike, I knew I wouldn't fall asleep. And I'd be like, our Father is in heaven. No. <laughs> I learned how to pray on that fitness bike. I thank my dad for bringing me at 5 a.m. to go to 6 o'clock prayer five days a week when I was little. Like, I learned how to pray because I watched him pray. So parents, I just want to tell you, even if they're just sitting there watching, have them be with you and teach them how to pray. Teach them how to pray. I'm so thankful. And as a matter of fact, even then, I, I act like I was complaining. I really did sit on the fitness bike because I was afraid to fall asleep, not because of my dad, but because of God. But um, <laughs> I actually felt really honored because I was the oldest and the younger didn't get to come to prayer. So I felt very grown up. I loved going to the prayer. So just to set that straight. <laughs> but because um, in case my dad is watching, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> But we need to be real. And, you know, we talked about the tabernacle of David. David was real with God. Have you ever read Psalms? I have asked, like, ever since I was little, like, God, what was it about David that made you say he was a man after your own heart? Like, he killed people, he sinned, he did all these things, but yet he was the man after your own heart. Was it that desire for the presence? What is it? Well, I think part of it is that there was an intimacy there that you don't see. You see a glimpse of it in Moses, right? But then we see it in David where he longed for that presence. He put the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in the center of his life when he asked to bring it to his backyard before there was even a temple. He wanted it right there and he would go and worship. And if you read the Psalms, the way David worshiped, and Brad preached about it, I'll become even more undignified than this, right? He didn't worry about what anybody else thought about him. He danced with all his might, but he also poured his heart out and told God exactly what he was feeling. Over and over and over again. If you don't know what to pray, pray the Psalms. It's just all David's prayers. They can be sung or they can be read. Either way will work just fine. On the mountaintop and in the valley, he was honest with God. I think he was a man who knew how to worship in spirit and in truth. And in the New Testament, I feel like the person who represents that best is Mary. There was Martha, right? And then there was Mary. If you grew up in church, you've heard this story a million times, but in case you didn't, I just want to recap for you. There were two sisters, and they had a brother named Lazarus. It was Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Jesus was their friend. Can you imagine Jesus being your friend? And so when he would be in their town, which was Bethany, right outside Jerusalem, he would come to their house and he would share, he would eat meals, all these things. And we have three times when Mary is mentioned in scripture. All three times, interestingly enough, she's at the feet of Jesus. The first time they're having Jesus for dinner, Martha is in the kitchen cooking. 
Mary's sitting at his feet listening. And I've preached this before where it's like, you know, there's even a book like being Mary in a Martha world and all that stuff. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing for Jesus. Martha wasn't evil, but we are going to look at some things in her heart that we need to make sure we don't have if we're going to worship in spirit and in truth. But Mary was at his feet. The second time is when her brother died. When Lazarus died, Mary came out to meet Jesus and said she fell to his feet. And the third time, Jesus was having dinner. Her brother was at the table, Martha was serving, and Mary came and she ran into his feet and broke her alabaster jar over his feet and wiped his feet, worshipped him, and wiped them with her hair. It's very intimate. It's very close up and personal. And can I tell you, if you read through the Gospels, you never see Jesus turning anybody away from being intimate with him or close to him. He was like, don't let the little children come to me. Don't cast that woman out. Like, let her come. Yes, the woman with the issue of blood. Yes, the ones who pressed in for a miracle. He was like, if you want it, come. Come. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Now, there are two different things. There's, you know, he is the shepherd, and he goes and chases after the one and leaves the 99. Jesus will chase you. But there's something greater, and that's when we chase him, because he says, come, and I will fill you. The hunger in our hearts determines, are we chasing Jesus, or is Jesus chasing us? Because he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's going to be near no matter what. But are you so hungry for him that you're chasing after him, and he doesn't have to come running after you? That was Mary. She came, she's like, where is he? I'm going to be as close as possible. That was David. Where is he? I'm going to be as close as possible. Bring his presence to my backyard. I remember years ago, before we even pastored, but we were leaders, and we went to a leadership conference, and they were doing this graph about the church in America. And they were saying how, picture this, so like there's a church in the middle of the graph, and they said it used to be that the church was the center of people's lives, and then they had like people's lives, like kind of like a, an atom, you know, like they were circling around the church, like that was the hub and the center of everybody's life. But they said, but now, and they showed the church, and then they had little dots all around, like people's lives are not revolving around church, and so if you want to minister to people, you have to go to their lives. Like you have to reach out at the soccer games, and you have to go to their schools, and you gotta, and it was like the church had to go revolve around people's lives. Now, first of all, I don't think that the church is what we should revolve around. It should be God, okay? So I'm not saying a church building, but secondly, that is so bananas backwards. Our lives revolve around God, not God around our lives. We have to get this straight and in order. And so they were giving you strategy for like how to build a church. And I remember sitting there like it grieved me. And I'm like, God, forgive us that we somehow have built our lives in a way that we think that you should come revolve around us. What is that? And how is that even supposed to be good advice? And there was many other good things about that conference and their hearts were in the right place. But that particular slide, I just felt the Holy Spirit was so grieved that this is what we were planning to do. <laughs> and I want to encourage you today, if you're like Martha and you're busy with many things and your life does not revolve around recognizing when Jesus is in the room, I'm going to be at his feet, God will come chasing after you. He's not going to leave you, but he'd prefer that you adjust your life to revolve around him. That's how you know he's not just your savior, but he's also your Lord. 
you have actually died in those water of baptism, and when you rose again, you rose to life in Christ. Not to life in myself and about my world and about everything that I want to do, but I live for Christ. To die is gain, but to live is Christ. So back to this. I want to talk about one of the stories about Mary and Martha that just struck me the other day. And it was about when Lazarus died. So here is Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus gets sick. They didn't have doctors and hospitals in the same way they do now. They were like, he seems really sick. He might die. So they send word to Jesus. Jesus is our friend. He's going to come. He's going to heal Lazarus. They've seen him do miracles. They believe in him. They have faith. So they send word for Jesus to come. Jesus tarries, the Bible says. Like, he chooses not to come. He could have come, but he didn't come in time. And the funny thing is, if you know Jewish custom back then, it was superstition, but they believed that for three days, the spirit, like, remained in the body. But on, like, after that, then they were fully dead. It was almost like half dead for three days. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up on the fourth day. Like, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was good and dead. You know, he's like, if I'm going to do a miracle, I'm going to do it real. I'm not going to have the Pharisees be able to say like, well, his spirit was still there. It was within three days. So Jesus, he really tarried. He showed up on the fourth day. The sisters are beside themselves. If you know Jewish custom, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament where they would sit. Now they call it Shiva. They would sit in mourning for seven days. Friends and family come. And it says that a huge crowd of people had come from Jerusalem. And they were in the house with Mary and Martha. And they were grieving. They were weeping. They were mourning. And Jesus comes on day four. When Martha hears that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him. Gotta love it. Here's Martha. She believes in him. She had opened up her house to him. And in verse 29, actually, no, let's start in verse 20. I'm sorry. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I just want you to remember that. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is like the right thing to say. That means that she had faith. Like if Jesus would have come, he would have healed her. But then she goes on and she goes, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's like she's not even upset. She's like, God will do anything. And you'll see later, hint, hint, Mary is crying. It doesn't say that Martha is. She's just like wanting to make sure that Jesus knows she has faith, and I know that you can do anything. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Like, just picture it. And then Martha says, yes, he will rise again when everybody rises on the last day. Like, I'm okay, I have faith, I know I will see him again in heaven. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, yes, you will see him in eternity. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anybody who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, Lord. 
I love her here. She's like saying all the right things. She's like philologically in her head. She's confessing all the things. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm over and not under. I have all the things. She goes, yes, Lord. I have always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I feel like she's praying these plastic fake prayers. She's like, oh, I know Jesus. Like, her brother had just died. It's okay to be a little upset. And it's not that you have to express it some certain way, but we're going to look again when Mary comes in just a second. When there's something going on in your life, you don't have to worship fake worship, and you don't have to pray fake prayers. If your brother just died, run up to the altar and pour your heart out to God. Like deep cries unto deep, and let him comfort you in your mourning. We don't have to be okay all the time. So it says that Mary then left, and she went back to Mary. She called Mary aside, and most translations say secretly or privately. I don't know why, but it's like she was embarrassed. She was like, you know what? I can't even talk to Jesus. I'm going to go back because Mary, she just seems to have this thing where she's connected more. Like, let's have her go talk to him because she said secretly. Um, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. We don't see Jesus calling for Mary. We don't see Jesus saying, Martha, go get Mary. We just see Martha going, she's like, Mary, come here, because all the mourners were around. And she like fibs a little bit and says, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. Because Mary had stayed at the house, and Martha's like, I'm just not connecting. Like, Jesus is not doing it. Like, I'm trying. I'm saying all the right things. So when Mary heard that Jesus was calling for her, which he wasn't, unless the Bible omitted it, which I don't know why it would, but she ran out immediately to him, it says, Jesus had stayed outside the village, but we're going to skip down a little bit. He was right where Martha had met him before. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, what did she do? She fell at his feet. She's always at his feet. Honor, worship, intimacy. And she said, what did she say? The exact same words. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't know, because the Bible, it's like sending a text. You can't tell the intonation. But it's almost like Martha's, from the rest of her rhetoric, is almost accusatory. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Mary, it says in the next verse, she was weeping. It's like she's grieving. She's like, Jesus, if you had only been here, he wouldn't have died. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Other translations said he had anguish in his spirit. It moved Jesus. They said the exact same thing. Martha got an intellectual dialogue. She got theory. She got words exchanged with Jesus. Mary's prayer, weeping at his feet, moved him into action. It says in the next verse, Jesus wept. Jesus wept with Mary. There's something about praying in spirit and in truth that actually moves the heart of God. I think they both had faith, and we know that faith is the currency of heaven, but there was some truth here that Martha didn't have. She didn't have an intimacy 
Again, going back to that analogy, when you're talking with somebody that you really know and trust, you're just honest. You're just honest. If you're upset about something, you're going to say so. You're not holding back. When you talk to God, don't hold back. And so Jesus goes, and we know the story, but he wept. And he said, where did you lay him? He arrived at the tomb. Go to the next verse. I don't remember how many I gave you. Oh, yes. He told to Mary, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus shouted, like, I just love this, Lazarus, come out. Now, Martha, the dead man's sister, the Bible says, protested. Here's where we see what's really in Martha's heart. She was all plastic. She was all good. She said all the right things. But when Jesus rolled the stone away and wanted to say, Lazarus, come forth, she goes, he's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. She didn't actually have faith. This is what was in her heart. You know, there's a man that came to Jesus and he said, do you believe? And the man says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Mary and Martha, Martha would have been better to say like, I don't even know if you can raise him again. Like, let's just be honest, but help my unbelief. Because when it actually came down to it and Jesus is about to raise her brother from the dead, she's like, no, 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 keep the stone where it's at. He's been dead for four days. There was no real substance to the rhetoric that she was spewing at Jesus. She was like, oh, I know, he will live, and he will, yes, yes, I believe. You know I have believed. I've always believed you were the Messiah. But then he's like, okay, let's go raise him from the dead. And she's like, no, 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 no. Let's not go crazy. Like, I will see him in heaven. <laughs> like, no. But we all know Jesus responded, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God if you believed? They rolled the stone aside and Jesus prayed. Lazarus came forth out of the grave. He was alive. Like imagine the celebration, the shock, the awe and wonder. It's just incredible what happened because of an earnest, truth-filled, faith-filled plea with God. And then I want to point out verse 45. I love this. It, it's so like just added in there. And many of the people who were with Mary, doesn't say with Mary and Martha, doesn't say with Jesus, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus. There's something about truth. If somebody comes to you, you don't have to say all the right things, but you do have to be honest. If you don't have all the answers, just be like, hey, I've only been Christian two months. I don't really know, but I'll find out. <laughs> like, whatever it is, I think God is tired of this. And if we're going to worship like nobody's watching, we're going to become more undignified than this, that is also how we need to pray. Sometimes you just need to get down on your knees and intercede for someone. There is a prayer that is like deeper than words. Maybe you need to pray in the spirit. Maybe, and the Bible talks about this, Jesus just groaned at times. If you grew up in Pentecostal church, you'd be like, travail, groan, moan, whatever. Like, there is a prayer that is deeper than words. When you're really in a desperate spot, you don't care. You don't care. Imagine for a moment that you had a child who had been falsely accused and ended up on death row. 
You're doing everything you can. You're spending all your money on lawyers. You're appeal after appeal after appeal. And then you find yourself, you like make this huge donation to the party, whatever, and you get to go and be in the room with the president. There's all sorts of other people there. You don't know him. Do you care that you know him or care about protocol? You're like in the room with the one man who could pardon your child. I would make sure, I, I don't care. Like I'm going to somehow find my way to get up there and be like, Mr. President, sir. I probably would bow down. I don't know. But like you don't care what anybody else thinks. This is the one person that could make a difference in my child's life. If you have a child that's in need or has fallen away from faith, that is how we need to pray. We don't care. And I know there's a season for prayer closet, and, and I think that's why Jesus is like, go and pray in secret. <laughs> the Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. Because sometimes it's just like, doesn't make any sense how we pray, but we have to be earnest. The earnest, the prayer of earnest heart. The earnest prayer of a righteous man avails much. And worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. And I felt like what God wanted to do this morning is there are some of you that are standing in faith for things. And I just want you to know, as much as you can worship freely in this house, you can pray freely. You don't need the worship team to come up, I mean the prayer team to come up and you come forward and be like, I'm really hurting about this and they pray a little prayer. And I'm not saying that that's how we do it, but like sometimes it's like you just can go to Jesus. You don't even need somebody. We need to each, every one of us, learn how to pray and come and stand in the gap. The Bible says between the living and the dead and intercede till we get breakthrough. There have been times when I have prayed and I've been standing in the gap for somebody and they were not well and they were not nearby and I just laid on my living room floor and like cried out to God until, but have you ever done it? And then like you feel it lifts and you just know you have the answer. You're like, oh my goodness, I touched the hem of his garment. That's it. I have the answer. And whether it happens right then or later, you just know that he heard you. That's the kind of prayer that God wants us to pray if we're going to be a house of prayer. A prayer that moves heaven. A prayer that comes back again and again. A prayer that doesn't care what people think. We're going to learn how to pray. <laughs> as much as we learn how to worship, we're going to learn how to pray. Earlier last year, so it would have been January last year. I was in a service and there was something that I was believing God for and I have prayed for this for years. But there was a moment in the service at the altar time when the minister said, hey, listen, if you've been contending for something, I feel like this is a moment where God's going to grant your request and I'm going to have you, and like, he didn't even say you can come forward. Like he was on halfway there. And I just like ran up because I'm like, hey, if he's granting, I'm going. <laughs> and I just ran up. And I remember I lay there and I just cried. And it didn't take long. Like I just, God gave me a vision. And I knew that the answer of my prayer was on its way. And I'd been praying for years. I don't even know that I had much faith. I just was like, I'm believing for this. And it took several months, but then it actually came to pass. But in my heart, it was burst in that moment. And after that, I didn't press in anymore. I just thanked him. I thank you that that answer is on its way. I thank you that you did that. 
I thank you that you answered me, you saw me, that I have a promise that I can hold on to. But sometimes we have to grab hold of him in prayer before it just happens. We have to have some merry prayers where we don't care who's looking, but we just need an answer from Jesus. And go ahead and hop up on your feet. Jesus said in Matthew, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I think sometimes our prayers are lip service because we are trying to say, it's not out of a bad heart, but it's because we're trying to say what we think God would want to hear. We want it's like he's looking for faith. So I'm going to fill, you know, pray a faithful prayer. He's looking for me to be victorious. So I'm going to pray a victorious prayer. He's looking for me. We're trying to please him. It's how we were raised. It's, it's not that we're trying to be bad. It's just God is saying, don't do that. Just if you want my presence, like be intimate with me. Come up close. Share your heart. Pour it out. The Bible says like deep calls to deep. Mary wept. Jesus also wept when he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> I think sometimes like I would say girls, you know, put on your waterproof mascara when you come to church or you go into the prayer closet, like just whatever. But the thing is, I don't want it to be I, I don't even feel like I felt like in my heart when I was preparing this message that it wasn't even so much for the women of our house as the men. And I felt like God is wanting to raise up men of prayer that are like David and there are like Jesus when he prayed in the garden that you, come, you stand in the gap for your families. And I, I'm not saying this for you in particular, but because my dad was a prayer minister, we would go to these prayer gatherings all around the world. It was usually all women. Why is that? It's like the intercessors in the church. It's like 20 women and one faithful man. I feel like God wants to turn that upside on its head. And that he wants to raise up men of prayer. Thank you. Jesus. So you don't have mascara, so you don't even have to worry about if it's waterproof. You got it easier. It's great. <laughs> but you do have to become like David even more undignified than this where you have to be honest be like i don't have it all together i can't control everything my family is a mess i don't like my job whatever it is that you just are able to cry out to god there was something about mary that's similar to David and it was that their world revolved around Jesus when he was in the room they were drawn like a moth to a flame right and David said bring that ark to my house so that we can pray and meet face to face Martha on the other hand when Jesus was at her house it says she was busy she was concerned about other things she was worried and anxious and jesus said you're worried and anxious about many things you just need this one thing and mary has figured it out 
So many times, the only reason we don't take the time to be intimate with Jesus is because we're worried and concerned about other things. Our life does not revolve around God. We need Him to come to us. So this morning, we're going to take some time, and if that's you, and you've had things that are drawing your attention away from Jesus, and you're worried and anxious and concerned about many things, today we're going to take those things, and we're going to bring them to Jesus. And we're going to learn how to pray. Ushers, if you would come and you can remove these because we're going to go into a time of worship. Um, I'm not going to have our prayer team come up right now. And if there's something that you're needing from the Lord, if you need to stand in the gap for something or someone in your life, this is an invitation for God. <laughs> This is an invitation for you. God's already here. I'll take the water. Thank you. Thanks, guys, so much. We're just going to take a few minutes. And I want you to pray some prayers that are in spirit and in truth. I've asked the band just to play. They're not going to sing. Because often, if you're like me, hey, once they start singing, oh, yeah, I can just worship. <laughs> but prayer is like you actually have to come up with your own words. You have to share what's actually in your heart. You don't just get to read off what somebody else wrote for you. It's like if you're trying to, you know, profess your love and you're reading poem and then the poem comes to an end and then you got to make up your own words. That's what prayer is. you got to make up your own words to God. Some of you... I just feel it strongly about children today. You're standing in the gap for your kids. And God says, I'll hear you if you could just hang in there with me and wrestle this thing out in prayer for more than two seconds. A prayer. <laughs> this just blew my mind a few years ago when I heard it. Don't look at prayer as a list. When you think prayer, if you think list, you're doing it wrong. Think person. This is you getting to actually talk to God. If God was standing right here, would you want to come talk to him and ask him something? In spirit and in truth. So if that's you, you can just come on down and kneel at the altars. We're going to pray.